Well, amen. Thank you, ladies. We appreciate that. What a beautiful song to just portray the Lord and His goodness. That's good. Take your Bibles, if you would. And let's open the Word of God to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we've been in a series of evangelistic messages here, looking at this true story that Jesus told. And we've learned some great things. While you're turning there, uh, let me just say we're so glad you're here this morning. And we're just looking forward as a church family to all that God has for us. We've been excited going through our new member class once again with a couple of new families that are, are going to join us in the fellowship. And we appreciate them very much. And uh, we appreciate the opportunity to, to, to do that, to, to facilitate growth and to, to help people, uh, you know, in their, in their service to the Lord. So our new member class, you know, the title of that is The Benefits of Being a Church Member. And uh, there are people who look at it that way. What, what do I get out of this? Well, God has answers for that. There's a lot in store for you. And uh, God has given us so many things to take advantage of in his work and in his world. And uh, we'd be foolish not to, right? So we kind of highlight the benefits of being a church member. And today we got to talk a little bit about, okay, let's turn that around. And w- what does the church expect from you? Because there are some things that it is a two-way street like any relationship. Uh, there are expectations on both sides, and, and I like our new member fellowships in, in our class because we get to clarify expectations up front, and, and also we, we get you know, to communicate some things ahead of time so that people who are coming into our fellowship are, are acquainted with, with what we believe and how we do things, and uh, that's been so very helpful. You know, I'm just looking behind. I mean, we're, here we are in October, and so this marks the one-year point for my wife and I being here as, as pastor and serving the church. And we've just marveled as we look back at what God has done in just a year. And, uh, you know, being bivocational has its challenges. And uh, also then there's the distance. You know, we, we commute here every week. And so uh, it, it all has presented its challenges, you know. And, and uh, it's funny because, we, you know, we look back on, on our years of service and we know that because of the distance, the commute, and, the, and the, all of that, you know, that it's, it's hard. We, we haven't been able to do things the way we normally would. We, we normally would be a lot more in touch and involved, e- even on a bivocational level. Uh, but those obstacles, you know, are there. And so we're like, man, you know, it's interesting because I know that this church family, all you know is what you've seen. And, and there's so much more, you know, that we want to see God do. But we just rejoice that, that even with all of that, the Lord has done some great things in this last year. And God's been good. He's blessed our church. We've grown, and uh, we've added to our membership. And uh, so it's, it's, it's great to see God at work. And I said all that just to get you to thinking about next year. So we've, we've passed the one-year mark. What, what's God going to do in year number two? Right? Think about 2023. Um, so, so I want you to be thinking and praying and looking ahead. You know, growth, it produces friction. We call it growing pains, right? That's what they call it when you're growing up. You, you have growing pains. Um, and, and a church experiences growing pains. When it grows, uh, there are certain problems that come up at different stages of growth in a church. And we just call those growing pains. Those are, those are good problems to have, right? Good problems to have. And so as we address those Right. That you know what those do. They, they always bring about a little bit of change. You have to adjust to address things that are new and coming up. Right. And so that produces a little bit of change. 
right? But change is not scary. Change is good, especially when God is leading us into that. And I know God is leading us into some things. He's going to grow us into some things, but it's going to require little adjustments, little changes along the way. And, and we're going to step into that by faith, right? And God's going to lead us through that. And I'm just excited as I think about 2023 and the good things that God has in store that are ahead of us. I, I want to get you thinking and praying about that. And I, and I want you to really just ask the Lord to bring about those good things. And let's be ready to receive them. Let's be ready to embrace the good things that God has ahead. I don't know about you. I just look back and think, boy, this last year has been so good. I really want next year to be twice as good, right? And so I'm asking the Lord for that. And I I hope you'll join me in asking the Lord for that. And let's see what God will do in this next year. All right, Luke chapter 16, I trust you're there. Oh, one more thing. I did want you to know, my wife and I, we're hosting some company this week, and we do have a commute back, so we probably will leave a little quicker after church than what we normally would, but that's because we want to be good hosts to our company at home, and so I want you to know that in advance, so if if for some reason, if you miss us and don't get to speak to us or shake our hand, we're not going to run out the door, but if you miss us or something, that's why. We usually hang around, and we're usually available, and we certainly want to be. Uh, so if you need to talk to us, make sure and, and uh, watch for us at the back, all right? And uh, we'll be available. All right, Luke 16, we're going to be reading, reading in verse 19 through verse 26 and uh, ask the Lord what he has for us today, all right? So let's stand together. If you have found your place, we'll have prayer, and then we'll begin reading right there in verse 19, all right? So let's pray together. Lord, how we love you today, how we thank you for your goodness and for your precious word. And as we come to this time in the service, Lord, we just want to pause and we just want to ask you, Lord, to have your way with your word. We pray, dear Holy Spirit, you'll be our teacher and guide. We pray that as we read the scriptures, Lord, that you'll just guide our thoughts, that our mind and heart might be in tune with you, that we might listen to the things you have for us. And we ask you to instruct us, speak to us, Lord, as only you can. So, Lord, help us to be mindful of what your word says, to be, to be attentive to the things that you would have us do. And, Lord, as we listen to the word of God today, Lord, may we just open our hearts and receive the truth so that it can help us in a personal way. Help us just to see ourselves in this passage to make sure that we are prepared. So help us today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 16, and in verse 19 it says, There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, And was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, 
so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Today I want to look specifically at the rich man, and I want to preach on the message uh, with this thought today, the tragedy of being unprepared. The tragedy of being unprepared. Thank you so much. You may be seated. As we've looked at this true story that Jesus gave us, that he taught, we've discussed hell and its torments. And we said, this is a true story. This is what Jesus was warning about. Now, if it had been a parable, we would have learned the same lesson. We would have learned to avoid hell and its torments. And then we considered the testimony of Abraham, the things that Abraham said that teach us about eternity and what to prepare for, what to expect. And last week we talked about the truth about Lazarus, why Lazarus went to heaven. And today I want us to look now at the rich man and understand why he went to hell. What do you have to do to go to hell? What does any person have to do? You know, there was a wise man who looked at America one day and he said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. It's an interesting quote because it it tells you that evil is on the march, it's on the rise, and there's just, it's, it's already moving, and that if you don't resist it, if you do nothing, it will overtake you. It should bring warning and caution to us all. But but there's kind of the same kind of momentum in the spiritual world, too. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, it tells us in, in verse 18. It says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. What does a person have to do to go to hell? Nothing. That's what the rich man did. He was unprepared. He did absolutely nothing. And he went to hell. That's why he went to hell. That's why all people who go to hell, that's why they go. Because they don't prepare Because they just float through life, taking spiritual things for granted, and they do absolutely nothing. Hey, don't don't go to church. Don't read your Bible. Don't listen to your friends who invite you, who witness to you, who pray for you. Don't read those gospel tracts. Don't take it seriously. Don't believe on the Lord. Do nothing, and you'll end up in hell just like the rich man. And that's what we're learning from this, from this text today. The rich man was unprepared. He was, he was not ready for eternity in, in the world, in life. He, he either knew how to make money or he inherited a lot of it. But the Bible tells us he was rich. He had everything he wanted in this life, but none in the life to come. Jesus said, the real fool is the one who lays up treasure on this earth and builds barns great and tall, but who makes no effort to prepare for the life to come. 
who lays up no treasure in heaven with God, who is not prepared for eternity. I think it was, uh, I'm not sure if it was last week or two weeks ago, we had one of these gospel presentations called The Fool. And if you read it, that was the story, wasn't it? The real fool is the one who enters eternity without being prepared. And you know what? The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. It's the fool who lives their life without God in mind. The foolish person in the Bible is one who doesn't regard God, who doesn't take into account the things of God. That's the fool. Hey, do you know, you may not be a fool if you're a believer, but do you know sometimes you can be foolish? We may not live our whole lives without regard to God because, hey, we came to church today. But you know that we can have foolish moments when we do things without God in mind. We can be foolish because we can do things without regard to the word of God and what he said about life and eternity. Oh, may that not be the case today. May, may we be prepared. May we give God his rightful place in our hearts, in our lives. May we take the time to, to understand the scriptures, the message of redemption and the salvation of God. You know, what is the Bible? The Bible is God's love letter. It tells us of the redemption of man. It tells us the story of God who created man and the earth and why he created him because of love and he wanted to fellowship with man. It tells us of sin who came between God and man. And it tells us of Christ who became the substitute to pay the price for man's sin so that Jesus Christ could be the the, the new in-between, the mediator between God and man to bring them back together in fellowship again. Somebody said, what is the Bible? It's basic instructions before leaving earth. Right? Hey, that's good advice. Basic instructions. So let's heed those instructions. Let's not be like the rich man. Let's make sure we're prepared to enter eternity. But I want to ask you this morning, Why? What makes somebody unprepared? Why was the rich man unprepared? Why did he leave this life not ready to meet the Lord? The Bible says there's an appointment that we all have. In Hebrews 9.27, it said, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. How can we have that appointment already scheduled, but not be prepared for it? There are some things that get in the way that cause people... And I'm sure, just like this rich man, to be unprepared. I want to discuss those with you this morning. First of all, I believe something the rich man had could have, could have made him unprepared for eternity. What is that, preacher? Possessions. Number one, possessions sometimes get in our way and cause us to not prepare for eternity because oftentimes things of this world, possessions in this life, they have a way of keeping our attention focused on the here and now, sometimes so much so that we neglect the future and we neglect to consider and prepare for eternity. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. We can be unprepared because of possessions. Think of it. This was a rich man that we're talking about. And even Abraham said, In thy lifetime thou art comforted. Why? By all of the comfortable possessions that he owned. He was comforted. He lived a comfortable life. He had what money could buy. He was a rich man. Yet the Bible says 
He died and went to hell. He didn't go to hell because he was rich, but his riches may have kept him from preparing for the life to come. He's not the only one that riches kept from the Lord. The Bible speaks of a rich young ruler one day who came to Jesus and said, Master, what should I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he said, I've done all that. Because, you know, people think they're good. I'm good. I'm a good person. They think they're the next best thing to perfect. Right? And so the rich young ruler told him that. I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. I'm doing good. What else you got? He said, okay. He said, go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And he said, come follow me. Why did Jesus tell him that? Do you think God's against us having things? No. But God told him that because he knew that in this young ruler's heart, possessions had taken hold. And you know, if we're not careful, we can be guilty of loving our stuff more than we love God. And I think the Lord was just kind of putting his finger on the pulse of this young man's life by bringing his attention to the fact that he was in that condition, that he loved his stuff more than he loved the Lord. And so Jesus gave him the challenge. Go sell all that and come follow me. He said, and you'll have treasure in heaven for doing so. Let me ask you something. What's more valuable, treasure on this earth or treasure in heaven? What lasts longer, the treasure we have on this earth or the treasure we accumulate in heaven? If you could trade all your earthly possessions, if you could cash that in for heavenly treasure, which one would be more valuable? So why wouldn't a person want to make the trade like that? Oh, this man was captivated in his heart. And the Bible says about this rich young ruler that he went away from Jesus sorrowful. And the Bible says why? Because he had much possessions. Well, the truth of the whole matter is not that he had possessions, but obviously his possessions had him. And you know, that's a dangerous place to be. Abraham was a man in the Bible who was very wealthy, but his possessions didn't have him. And on many occasions, God tested his, his faith, and Abraham proved several times that God was first in his life, and he loved God more than everything he owned. Abraham was willing to put it on the line, yet this rich young ruler was not. How about you? The Bible talks about those that were bidden to the supper. Do you remember that? The Lord Jesus told about the parable of the marriage supper and those that were bidden to the supper. And who were the ones that didn't come? They were the ones that had stuff. One guy said, hey, I bought some land and I got to go take care of that. Another guy said, hey, I've got some oxen in a ditch and I've got to go take care of those. And another guy said, well, I've got to do this. And they all had excuse. The Bible says they began to make excuse. Now, why didn't God say they all had good reasons why they couldn't come? He called all of that excuses. Excuses. Think about it. What excuse will we use to not be prepared for what God has for us? Well, I hope none. I hope you and I, especially after hearing this challenge, I hope that we'll put excuses aside and put God first and not allow possessions to keep us from what God has for us. 
This, this rich man obviously was held back. He was unprepared for eternity because his possessions obviously possessed him. What keeps people from heaven? Sometimes, number one, it's possessions. But number two, sometimes, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not possessions. Sometimes what keeps people from heaven is pride. Pride. You know, people think, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Maybe they have pride in their heritage or their family name. Maybe they have pride in, in, in the, the, the status that they've gained in their community. Maybe they have pride in, in some position that they serve in. It doesn't really matter. Pride can be a dangerous thing. Pride can be a good thing when it causes you to do your work well. You know, we use that expression, you take pride in your work. That's a, good, that's a good way to use pride. But, you know, pride can be used in a bad way. Pride can keep you from what God has for you, and it certainly has been known to do that in the past. People talk about the Lord, and they think about spiritual things, and they come away with the idea, hey, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. That's nothing but pride talking, and it's not doing you any good. People say, I, I, I can manage on my own. Really? Then why did Jesus die on the cross? Don't you think if there was any other way to save humanity from sin, don't you think God would have used it and and not allowed his son to be tortured on a cross if there was any other way? According to the Bible, we all need help. And that's why Jesus came. Pride causes us not to see the truth about ourselves. Pride causes us to be deceived when we look in the mirror. But God has the antidote to pride, and it's His Word. If we believe the Bible, and if we come to it as a mirror and allow it to speak truth into our lives, then we can clear the fog and we can see clearly the way God sees us. When God sees us from heaven, He doesn't see us as pretty good people. He doesn't see us as the next thing from perfect. He sees us in need of a Savior. That's why the Bible says in John 3.18 that we're condemned already. Why? Because of sin. This is how God sees us. Look with me at the book of Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 3. What does God see when when He sees us? What does He see when He looks down at humanity? The Bible says in Romans 3, in verse 23, well, let's just back up while we're there. Look at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. If I asked you a question this morning, hey, are you perfect? Most of us are are pretty willing. We're not that proud. We're pretty willing to say, well, no, preacher, I'm not perfect. Right? Anybody think they're perfect in here? (laughs) I didn't think so. Oh, no, I'm not perfect. And so God tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. We're not perfect, but God goes a little further than that. Look at verse 23. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Hey, I got news for you. Not only are you not perfect, far from it. The Bible says you're guilty of sin. For all have sinned. Now look, I don't know what your sin is. 
Sometimes we look around at other people and we say, well, my, my sin ain't as bad as his. Boy, it ain't as bad as theirs. Well, forget all that. If you want to compare yourself to somebody, let, let me ask you this. Look at Adam and Eve. They were the first people in the Bible to sin back in the very beginning. And what was their sin? They just ate a piece of fruit. If anybody can say, well, it really wasn't that bad, it was Adam. The problem is all sin looks bad in his sight. And it's not about whether mine's worse than yours or yours is worse than mine or Adam's. The truth is we're all guilty of the same stuff, the same. It's called sin. Do you know what sin is? Sin is when we disobey God. When we do what God said not to do, or we don't do what God said to do, it's sin. Adam and Eve sinned, you've sinned, I've sinned, we all sinned. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. We inherited that generation after generation. For that all have sinned. We can't blame it all on Adam and Eve because you and I have our own sin. We've made it at some point our own choice. And now we have to answer for that. So when God sees us, he doesn't see this bundle of good works. God sees a bunch of sin. And that sin has to be dealt with. You see, the Bible says we are sinners. We're not good people. That's why when that man came up to Jesus one day and said, Good master! That's why he stopped him and said, Whoa, 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 whoa. He said, there's only, there's only one good. That's God. He corrected that man for his use of the word good. Because you know what? We use that so casually and so loosely. We just, we just think we're all good. Well, you know what I mean, preacher. No. Do you know what you mean? That's really what Jesus was pointing out to this man. Look, only God is good. We're sinners. The Bible says all have sinned. Have you ever realized that you were a sinner? You know what? It's it's sin that takes people to hell. Because God's not letting you bring that into heaven. So that sin has to be dealt with. We've got to do something about that. What do we do with sin? Well, the Bible's very clear. Good works don't erase bad ones. Somebody had the idea, well, if I, you know, I got a bad pile and I got a good pile and God's going to put them on a scale and there's no scales in heaven. Somebody say amen right there. There's no scales in heaven, right? <laughs> hey, there, there's no, that's not how it works. Your good works can't erase your bad ones. But if your bad ones appear, even one, it's enough to keep you from heaven. God's not letting that stuff in. So something has to be done with that sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. You see, the Bible, not only does the Bible call us sinners, the Bible has another word to describe us. And it's not good. Look at Luke chapter 19, would you, for a moment? Turn to Luke 19. We were in Luke 16. 
a couple of pages over. Look at Luke 19, and then look at verse 10. Let's, let's back up and read verse 9 also. It says, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, that's talking about Jesus, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. You know what God calls us? Not only calls us sinners, but he calls us lost. And that's why Jesus came to die on a cross. To find us, to redeem us or buy us back to himself. So that sin, the price of sin could be paid. Jesus paid that price. That's why we sing that song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. What can wash away my sin? The songwriter said, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hey, your family history can't do it. Your family name can't do it. Your social standing in the community can't do it. Your church membership, your baptism, your good works, none of that can wash away your sins. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. God knows that we're sinners and that we're lost. Let me show you something else that God sees when he looks at us. Look at the book of Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 1. Paul writing to some new believers here in the Ephesian church and he said this to them. He said, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Paul said, before you met Jesus, you know how God saw you? He saw you as dead. Wow. Think about that. Sometimes the Bible uses that term, the dead, and it's not talking about those that are in the grave. It's talking about those who are without Christ, those who have not been forgiven of their sins. The Bible says, spiritually speaking, they are dead in their state of sinfulness. That's what it means to be dead in your trespasses and sins. This is how the Bible describes us. This is why we need Jesus. This is why we need to be saved. How else does the Bible describe us? Turn back to John chapter 3. We looked there a moment ago. Verse 18. And we looked at that word already. What does a person have to do to go to hell? Nothing. Why? Because they're lost. Because they're sinners. Because they're dead in sin. Because according to John 3.18, because of all that, because of their condition, the Bible says they are condemned. Notice it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, because when you believe on Christ, he washes away your sins. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God sent Jesus into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. We're condemned because of our own sin. We condemn ourselves by neglecting the only way of salvation that God provided for us. Why are people unprepared for eternity? Because of possessions? Yes. Because of pride? Absolutely. Because people think that they're better off than they really are. 
hey, without Jesus, you have no hope of heaven. Jesus is our hope. He's our only hope. That's why we preach salvation. That's why we proclaim the name of Jesus. That's why we, 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 we look at the image of the cross because we're reminded of what he did for us there. It, it's, not, it's not the shape of this wooden structure that saves us. It's what Jesus accomplished when he went there. And if we receive that, then the payment is made and our sins are forgiven. And then the Bible says, We're born into the family of God. That spiritual transaction occurs. God does his work on the inside to quicken us, to to make us alive in him and forgives our sins. And then we can say, I'm on my way to heaven. You see, Lazarus obviously did that. He took care of that. He prepared for eternity. But the rich man, he didn't have time for that. Have you ever wondered, why the rich man, when he was in hell, why did he he say, send Lazarus? If he could see up there, don't you think there probably were some popular preachers that he could have called for? Lazarus was just an old beggar. Why did he call for him? I think he called for Lazarus. Because I think Lazarus regularly told him about Jesus and the need for salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And he had no time for that on on earth, but all of a sudden, when he woke up in hell, he realized it was Lazarus that was faithful to tell him the truth, faithful every time to care about his soul when nobody else was warning him, nobody else was praying for him, nobody else was inviting him to church, nobody else was telling him about being saved. Lazarus was. I think that's why he wanted Lazarus. Send Lazarus? Why? He could trust him. He knew Lazarus cared for him. Hey, I bet there's somebody that cares for you. If you've never been saved by the grace of God, if you've never been forgiven of your sins, hey, I want you to know somebody's calling your name out. Somebody's praying for you. Somebody's invited you to church. I guarantee you somebody's given you a gospel witness in some form or another. Somebody wants you to be saved. Hey, and who knows? There might be somebody in hell today calling your name out. Send send them to his house. Send them to her house. Lest they also come to this place of torment. Yes, some people are unprepared because of pride, but some people are unprepared because of other people. Let me quickly give, give you these last few thoughts. Sometimes people get in our way because we say things like, well, I'll get saved if he gets saved. I'll get saved if she gets saved. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Don't wait on anybody else. Don't even say that. Don't even think it. You say, well, why not, preacher? Because... <laughs> They might be thinking the same thing about you. Well, I'll get saved when he does. Now you're waiting on each other. Somebody's got to take the lead. Somebody's got to step out. Somebody's got to say, let's go. How about it today? Would you get saved? Would you initiate? There are those that are influencing you, and there are those that you are influencing. Would you help bring people to Christ by coming first yourself? Give your own heart to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. And what a testimony you'll have to help bring others. Some 
are unprepared for eternity because of pleasure. The Bible says about a man named Demas that he forsook the Lord having loved this present world. Hey, this world's got a lot to offer you, but I'm telling you, it won't last for eternity. It cannot stand. It cannot measure up to the goodness of God. If you trade the Lord for the pleasure of this life, you are taking the short end of the stick. You are going to get cheated, I promise you. Don't let pleasure rob you of your place with the Lord in eternity. And then some people are unprepared. You know what? A lot of people are unprepared because of this. Procrastination. You don't know how many times I've been in ministry since I was 16 years old. You don't know how many times I've heard people say, I'm going to get saved one day. I'll do it later. Next week. Next Sun- I'm going to come to church next Sunday. Next Sunday? One of these days, preacher, I'm going to settle down and I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to live like I should. I'm going to live right. One, one day I'm going to do that. One day. You know it ain't here yet. After all those years. You know what they keep saying? One day, next Sunday, tomorrow, later, one day. Oh, listen. God was right when he said in his word that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Because so many people follow their heart, lie to themselves and say, one day I'm going to get saved. One day I'm going to go to church. You watch. The roof might fall in, but I'm coming one day. One day. Really? Man, it's been a long time. Nah. If you're saying that, chances are you never will. You're procrastinating. You're putting it off. And if you're putting it off today, if you catch yourself, keep saying that one day thing, I'm telling you, you're going to go into eternity just like this rich man, unprepared. All of a sudden, he's crying out, have mercy. Hey, it's too late now. That's what you should have said before. Your time was up. You should have called out to God and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, forgive me. That's how you get saved. But the rich man waited until he was in hell to do that. You know what? It's too late now. Some people say, well, uh, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. It's too late then. Too late then. That's what Abraham taught us. Once you're there, it's too late. You can't switch places. It's not going to happen. Nope. What does the Bible say about procrastination? About putting off salvation? What does it say? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Oh, don't put it off. Don't say tomorrow, next Sunday. No, no, no. Do it today. The Bible says today is the time 
Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Hey, man, haven't you been reading the headlines? Have you seen lately how many people have gone out into eternity? Today. They didn't wake up in the morning thinking, Today's the day. But it was. That's why God said, don't, don't, don't put it off to tomorrow. Because you don't know what today may bring. Don't say tomorrow I'm going to get saved. Next week, preacher, next week I'm going to get saved. No, 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 no. You, you may not be here next week. I, I'm not really trying to scare you. I'm just being real. That's what the Bible says. Today, not tomorrow, today is the day to take action. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 6, that the time is now while he is near. If you're sitting here today and hearing this message and you know you need to accept Jesus and you never have, then the Bible says now is the time while he is near, while the Lord is speaking to your heart, while you feel the need that this is for you right now. That's when you should act. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Why? Because there's a time when he won't be. There's a time when you will call and he will not answer. Like the rich man who said, Father Abraham, have mercy. It was too late. Too late. Can we wait too late? Absolutely. We can do the same thing. We can make the same mistake. The tragedy of being unprepared. There was another man who was unprepared. The Bible says he was a king. His name was Agrippa. Paul witnessed to him. And Agrippa, after hearing Paul's message, this is what he said. He said to Paul, Hmm. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. Oh. It's the last thing we ever heard from him. Did this man ever receive the message of Jesus? Did he ever believe Paul's words? Did he ever call upon Christ? Was he ever saved? Probably not. I'm not trying to be negative, Nelly. I'm just telling you that statistically, most people who put it off never do. And he did put it off. Instead of saying, Paul, you're right, thou persuadest me to be a Christian, he said, hmm, almost. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Almost. I want to ask you a question. What is keeping you? from trusting Jesus as your Savior, from asking forgiveness of all your sins, what is keeping you from doing that right now? What is it? Whatever comes to your mind right now, that's what you've got to deal with. That's your problem. You're letting that stand between you and God. And if you leave it there, It'll keep you from heaven. 
it'll cause you to go to hell because the Bible says you're condemned already. Jesus has already taken action. Now it's your turn. Will you come? Will you receive Christ as your Savior? And if you're here today and you're already saved and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then listen, these are some words that you can take with you and share with others to urge them. Time is running out. Opportunity is not forever. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Please accept Jesus before it's too late, my friend. Otherwise, you will find yourself like the rich man in the tragedy of being unprepared. So sad because it didn't have to be this way. And it doesn't for you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you for providing so great a salvation. And the scriptures tell us, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Jesus did it all. May we receive it, may we believe it, so that we too can be saved. In Christ's name we ask.